My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus told his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them. But the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, They all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, No, for there may not be enough for us and for you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. After, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Anyone who's been fortunate to visit Rome, to go to their museums, spend some time in the great churches and massive basilicas can attest that it's often a, a sensory overload. Your first time entering into some of these historic exquisitely beautiful, and most of all, sacred places, you likely don't know where to look first. What is the meaning or significance to all the things that you're, you're taking in? How human beings were able to accomplish such, such wonders? You walk into St. Peter's Square, you see this massive edifice, and you just marvel at the complexity of such a structure. You enter into the, the Vatican Museums, and you find yourself walking literally for miles through centuries upon centuries of creativity unleashed in a variety of artistic forms. And at the end of that journey, brings you to the Sistine Chapel, where you find yourself simply in awe at the, the genius of it all. What makes art and beauty such divine institutions is that you can really be affected and moved by all of those things, even if you're only able to spend just a, a few min- minutes in those places. But if you have more time to view and engage the art, you find some deeper lessons that are being conveyed. The frescoes by Michelangelo in the the Sistine Chapel are are amazing. These masterpieces tell the story of human history from the dawn of God's creation until the very end times. And the whole ceiling has God's love story, his creation, his love for humanity, how often Humanity fell away, how God continued to bring us back and create a way to save humanity, which is perfected and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is front and center in that chapel. It's meant to 
move people on multiple levels, to appreciate the, the beauty of the work itself, to remember our origins and the love of God who desires our choosing to love him, to reflect on where are we now, where are we going. You're meant to look around at all the different figures, all the different stories of the best and the worst of humanity being played out and ask yourself, who am I? Where do I fit in? Am I one of the crowd? Am I that drunk guy? Am I that sinner striving to become a saint? And it reaches its culmination on that back wall where the final judgment is depicted. If you can get past the artistic splendor, which is a challenge, you find all kinds of additional details that capture your attention. There's all kinds of little things and details, like the story about one cardinal who publicly criticized Michelangelo's work and ends up being de depicted in hell in what might be characterized as the worst of possible matters, or how there's no women depicted in hell because Michelangelo couldn't conceive of any woman ending up there. But one lasting image that has stayed with me from the first time I saw it, having this art expert who was our guide explaining it, was the image of Christ himself, who was on that wall of the final judgment right in the center. Jesus is beardless, which is somewhat rare for us to see in art, and just adds to the majestic and serious tone of it. And his right hand is raised as he's passing judgment and looking at those damned to hell. And to his side is the Blessed Virgin Mary. She's portrayed with a whole mix of emotions. The scene makes it look like Jesus has his back to her and Mary can no longer be heard. She can't intercede for those people that are damned in hell because it's that, at that moment in time, it's just it's too late. It's stirring. Michelangelo had wanted the importance of how we lived our lives and how we would be judged to be front and center for those who come into that sacred of spaces, to be challenged, to, to be uncomfortable, and to be moved into having some reaction to recognize that there will come a final judgment where we will have an accounting for who we are and how we've lived. The need for the observer of the painting to consider the importance of repentance, to have a change of heart, to turn away from sin, and to turn towards Christ before that final judgment takes place, before it truly is too late. That image came to mind when reflecting on what Jesus is sharing in this somewhat confusing parable. Because the imagery in the background in this is so foreign to us, it's easy for us to kind of dismiss it. We hear about this wedding, we hear lamps and oil, and wonder why are some of these people being unchristian, not sharing their oil with people who need some? Why does the groom seem so unforgiving to these people who are asking for some understanding or compassion? To Jesus' initial listeners, hearing this parable, they knew weddings to be the event of the year. The whole town would be buzzing about it. There would be great anticipation, great preparation for it. And for the first century Jew, the wedding would begin at sunset. The bridesmaids, after spending time with the bride, would go out and wait to meet the bridegroom. And one of their responsibilities was to accompany him to the bride since and since it was dark, they would be carrying an oil lamp. That these unfortunate ones in this parable didn't have enough, well, in 2020 language, they had one job. The other bridesmaids couldn't share their oil because 
they wouldn't be able to fulfill their responsibility. The deeper meaning, though, is meant for us to recognize Jesus as the groom and the church as her bride. And Jesus is asking us, his followers, are we prepared to welcome him, to escort him to his bride, to be ready to be a part and join in that great celebration when that big day arrives? And that's an individual and personal question that every individual needs to answer for themselves. The oil in our lamps isn't something that can be shared. It's our personal virtue. When we see the parable from that understanding, the dramatic differences between being wise and foolish becomes more obvious. The wise choose to live chastely rather than the foolish ones who gives into lust. The wise have self-control and restraint rather than giving in and getting drunk or high. The wise choose to be charitable rather than giving to, into greed. The wise are the hardworking rather than lazy, are patient rather than giving into rage, are kind and grateful for their blessings rather than envious or jealous. The wise are humble rather than the foolish whose pride and ego are way out of control. Like a beautiful artistic treasure like the Sistine Chapel, we can sometimes get lost in the abundance of goodness that we're accustomed to in seeing and looking at Jesus. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's compassionate. And that's why Jesus' warnings in the gospel are meant to be a blessing to us, to cause us to take our faith a little bit more seriously, to consider that if our oil is low now, to take advantage of the opportunity to get a fill-up. Jesus can forgive our negligence. He can assist us by offering us absolution from our sins that we need when we do an examination of our conscience and go and make a good confession. He offers us generous amounts of his grace, hoping that we will utilize it to truly be wise and prepared. Because the day he arrives, whether it's at the end of time or the end of our time, is something we know it's coming. It is the event that every human being knows is inevitable. The exact timing isn't something we're clear on. Will we be prepared to meet him when he comes? May we be busy and intent on those things before it's too late.